I think that means you can sit down, y'all. I want to thank you guys for leading us to the throne tonight. I'm going to get over here on the Presbyterian side. <laughs> okay, it's going to be a good night, I can tell you already. Man, I hope you've had a, hope you've had a great day. Uh, I've been talking with, with my pastor. Uh, you know what, and, and let me just, for those of you who haven't met my wife, uh, she's right over here. Sherry, would you mind standing up? That's... Yeah, that's a, other than Jesus, that's the best thing that ever happened to me right there, man. Can you imagine living with this? <laughs> and uh, my, my pastor uh, down in the Atlanta area and his wife uh, and some of his kids are here. Uh, pastor Billy w Wood and his wife Shannon, would you guys stand up? There you go. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, all my family there could, could be with us. All right, now, last night we, we, we dove into a, a pretty heavy-duty subject. We, we started talking about, and do we have our, my cheat sheet here yet? Okay. What up, Tad? Glad you're here tonight, too. Okay. So we started looking in Colossians chapter 3. Why don't you take your Bible, if you would, and let's open there once again. But when we, we got, got into Colossians chapter 3, he set the context for us, and we saw this in verse 1. In the first seven words, do you remember this? If ye then be risen with Christ... And do you remember what we did? I, man, I really do wish that I could get in your head right now and know what, what you've got in there right now when you think about the fact that you have been risen with Christ. You remember we went to two different books. We went, of course, to the book of Colossians, and we went to the book of Ephesians, both from chapter 2. And we saw in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 that he told us that what this thing of being risen with Christ it, it actually is, is when we called upon the name of the Lord to save us, though none of us, as I said last night, none of us had the spiritual software to understand this, but something unbelievable was actually taking place. I mean, you can go back, and I, I can still remember, man, I, I'm a long-haired teenager from Miami. I am shaking like a, a little kid before God and calling on the name of the Lord to save me, and I did not get it. <laughs> that at that very moment, the Spirit of God was taking me and placing me into Christ's death placing me into his burial, and then with what it says here, the power that God put into operation that raised Christ from the dead is the power that raised that sorry, hell-deserving teenager to a different type of life. And so what he's, he's saying in, in if he, or Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 is he's saying, okay, if you've experienced that, 
And he could have said, okay, so now that you're saved, because that's exactly what he means, but he wants us to understand exactly what our salvation was. But not only was it our death, burial, and resurrection into Christ, because we were all dead in trespasses and sins, but he raised us to a new life. But we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, that something else was also happening at the moment we were calling upon the name of the Lord to save us. And what that was is he was raising us up in a different way, an unbelievable way, really an incomprehensible way, really hard to get our minds wrapped around, as we talked about last night. We're seated here physically. But right now, at this very moment, because we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, he raised us up together and made us sit with him in heavenly places. And so that's why we're using the little title or subtitle uh, to our, our, our little series for camp, How to Walk on Earth. Okay, we're still living here. How do we actually live this life that God has called us to live? How do we walk on earth like somebody who is seated in heaven? And so we talked last night about seven verbs that are in this passage that actually point us to five things that... I believe this passage behooves us to talk to God daily about. Now, we were just kind of setting the tone last night. You're going to understand this, I think, a little bit better. But the first thing that I was challenging all of us to do is to talk to God daily about the pursuits, what we're seeking, and the purposes of life. Now, tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about the purposes of our life as we begin to talk about the things uh, uh, above. But, but what we saw in this is the first two key verbs. First of all, the word seek, and he tells us to seek the things that are above. You know anybody seated there tonight? All of us. Seek the things that are there and set our affection that set is the second key verb. Set your affection on things above. And do you, do you remember the rest of this? Not on things on the, say it. Not on things on the earth. Okay, now we, we talked last night about what the things on earth actually are. Do you remember what they are? The three C's? Okay. Clothes, cars, and crib. Man, that's, can life get better? I'm not so sure that it can. Okay, so, so we, we know what we're not supposed to seek. We're not supposed to seek those things on earth down here. We're to seek the things up there. Now, I want to make sure that you hear this. Our goal in talking about this is not to get us all worked up so that we leave here and go, I'll tell you what. 
I am not gonna seek those things on earth. Those dirty, nasty clothes that I want so bad. And cars, man, I wish I was driving that, but I gotta suppress that. And man, that, that house, I would love to stay in that crib. I, 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 so it, listen, I promise you, if, if that's what we leave here doing, we're gonna find ourselves seeking that. There's another C word that I almost threw in there right there. We're gonna be seeking all that stuff. But you know what? Most people have never stopped to go, hey, I don't know what the things above are. Well, no wonder we can't hit them <laughs> if we don't know what it is that we're supposed to seek. Chances are real good we're gonna start seeking all the stuff that we're not supposed to seek because the devil's gonna put that stuff in front of our face all the time and it connects with that old base fleshly nature that we have that we're kind of drawn to all that stuff like a magnet. And so, listen, we gotta just stop for just a second and go, what, is, what are the things above? And so what I want us to do tonight, and I, 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 I tried to say this last night. What I'm going to share with you tonight changed my life. Because I, I finally figured out, oh, now that I've been risen, this is what I'm seeking. This is what this is supposed to be about. And, and yeah, I need to understand what it's not, but... If I don't know what it is, I'm probably not going to get there. And so here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to take your knowledge of the Word of God and what God has revealed that's above. And through the lens of the Word of God, okay, you're seated right, you're seated there tonight. And through the lens of the Word of God, I want you to just look around. What are the things that are above? We're risen there. It's a present tense reality. And again, he's not left it, you know, to, oh. No, he's revealed it to us through his book. And so 25 years ago, when I was trying to figure out what the things above are, you know what I did? I got out my handy-dandy little computer with a little concordance, and I looked up every place that the Bible talked about anything in heaven, anything above. I, I mean, I, I cross-referenced it like crazy. I had all of these references. But what I began to see is that they all kind of fell into four basic categories, four things that are, are above. And, okay, so I, I, as you were just thinking in your mind's eye through the, the lens of the Word of God about what you're actually seeing, was the first thing, why don't you go into the things above here, was the first thing that, that just came and popped into your mind that was in heaven, was it not 
What John talked about in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, where he said, For there are three that bear record in heaven. Where? In heaven. The Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And we, we talked a little bit about the rapture this morning and, and then tonight. And, and listen, y'all, I can assure you, when we get raptured off of this planet and we come into heaven, the thing that is going to consume us, the thing that we will absolutely be captivated by more than anything else around us is exactly what John is describing here. And the way that I'd like for you to get it in your notes is the person of God. The person of God. That's the first thing that we find is above. And remember that Paul tells us in Colossians 3 and verse 1 that now that we have been risen with Christ, though we live down here physically, we're seated here, and so while we're walking down here, we're doing so from the standpoint of the things that are here, and we're seeking the things in this realm. And listen... God wants us, now that we've been saved, He wants us to spend the rest of our days down here on this earth seeking Him. Earnestly seeking Him. Have you ever marveled as you looked in the Word of God and how many times he, he talks of, about, seek me, seek me. I, we don't have time to hit all the references, but just for those of us that may be newer to the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 4, what an incredible verse, y'all. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. But if, if thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, he says, and ye shall seek me. And not only that, but you'll find me when you search for me, when you seek for me. Here he says it again, man, with all of your heart. And again, I ask you, why is it that the God of the Bible, our Father, our Savior, why does he, so often in the word of God, why does he say, seek me? Is he lost? Is he hiding? Why does he tell us to seek him? Okay, well, this is how it shakes out biblically. Do you understand that when God created that first man and the first woman, do you understand that he created them to have an intimate, personal, love relationship with them? And of course, we know this story, I get it, but listen. What God did is through that tree that he placed in the garden, 
God was giving mankind a choice. One of the things I love about God, I, there's a zillion, but one of the things I love about him is that he didn't make us robots that were you know, pre-programmed to love him and pursue him. God wanted us as humans to love him because we choose to love him, because we want to love him. And he wants us to love him not simply because of what he does. He wants us to seek him because of who he is. And in the earliest days of creation, we see this in Genesis chapter 3, you understand the voice of God would come down and walk. Hey, let me ask you something. You ever seen a voice walk? Voices don't walk and unless they're a person. I ask you, who is the voice of God? Is it not the word of God? Is it not the Lord Jesus Christ? And what you've got here is the Lord Jesus Christ showing up in the garden, hanging with his creation, walking with them in an intimate love relationship in the cool of the day. And of course, as you know, Adam made the fateful choice and rather than continue the relationship with God, he chose to sever it. The, the way that Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says it is that he chose his own way. And he, along with his bride, chose to eat that forbidden fruit. And listen, when God came down on that tragic day in Genesis chapter 3 to walk in the cool of the day. He didn't come like he had come on all the previous days. Because on this day, he came down into that garden on a rescue mission. He came down into that garden with a question. You remember the question? Adam, where art thou? You know how we might could say that, y'all? God came down into the garden seeking lost man. And the fact is, he's been seeking lost man ever since. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you understand that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior tonight, do you realize that you know him because he went seeking for you? Just like he did with Adam, he went seeking you and he went seeking me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 says that in our lost condition, it was so absolutely devastating that it left us incapable of seeking him. It says, there is none that understandeth. There is how many? None that seeketh after God. But listen, because he pursued after us, and as Titus chapter 2 and, and verse 11 says, because the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared to us, just like it 
going to do for every single person on this planet. He doesn't just seek those that were chosen before the foundation of the world. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to every man. Okay, but it appeared to us. And you know what happened to us? When we, when we understood the gospel, listen, we chose to enter into the relationship that we were created to have from the very beginning. And the point that God's making in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when he tells us to seek him, what God's trying to get us to, to see is, listen, okay, now that I've done all of this for you, because I went seeking you when you couldn't seek me, and because I loved you when you couldn't love me, Would you now, now that you've been risen with Christ, will you now seek me? Will you passionately pursue that relationship with me in this world that you're living in? Could you get your focus on and make your pursuit as you're living your life down here? Would you make that me? And you understand, you know, that's what God is really after. He's always wanted us to choose to love him. And that's what it means to seek him and to set our affection on him. And that's why Jesus said that the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 is to... Love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Can I say this to you, y'all? I, I know it's simple somehow. It's so simple we miss it. But can I say to you that now that you're saved, what God wants, first and foremost, more than anything else, is he just wants you to love him. <laughs> That's it. You remember that whole gig that happened with, with Peter in John chapter, what was it, 20, 21, where Peter's denied him three times and He's on the beach and hollers to Peter. Ah, I know that voice. Peter comes to Jesus. And you remember what happened? Three times Jesus asked him, do you, do you love me? For real, I want you to think with me right now. If, if Jesus were to look you in the eye and say, I want to just ask you, do you love me? Could you honestly tonight, could you look the God of the universe in the eye and say, oh God, with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength, I love you. 
Could you say that to him tonight? And you know what's crazy about a group like us, y'all? A good portion of us could, could say, oh, I, I fear you. A lot of us could say, I, I, I revere you. I serve you. I, I obey you. But how many of us could actually say tonight that we genuinely love God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and what God's telling us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, is now that we've been risen with Christ, we are to seek the person of God. We're to set our affection on him because God wants us to be passionate about loving him. And when you check out this, this little word, set, in, in verse 2, set your, your affection. Let me just talk to you for this, about this for just a second. Okay, okay, so if you're in your house or apartment and it's wintertime, and you get a little chill going on, okay, what do you do? I know what you do. You, you go over to the thermostat, and, and, and what do you do? You set it where you want it to be. And, and lo and behold, you set that little thermostat, and in just a little bit, you hear the furnace kick on, and, and what it does is it brings the temperature in that room up to where you, where you set it. And listen, y'all, what I'm challenging you to do is on a daily basis, I think it's that serious. If that's the one thing that he's looking for, for us to love him, what if on a daily basis we left here and from now until Jesus came and we look him eyeball to eyeball, Daily, we spend the time with him and set the spiritual thermostat of our life to loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. So the first thing that's above and I want everybody in the room to, to say this with me right now. The first thing that is above is the person of God. And what God wants is he wants us to... Okay. That's not hard, is it, y'all? I mean, it's hard to do. It's not hard to get in our heads. But listen, I, I really do believe that if we don't, on a daily basis, set the spiritual thermostat of our life to loving him, we're going to wake up a few years from now and go, what in the heck happened to me? Or we may stand at the judgment seat of Christ and go back through our life and see it through the eyes of the Lord and see that we did a lot of revering and fearing and serving and lots of other things, but we, we missed loving him. Okay, so what's the next thing? 
that, that is above. And again, let's, let's take our, our knowledge of the Word of God, look through the lens of the Word of God. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, Forever, O Lord, here it comes, thy word is settled where? Where we're seated, y'all. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but all I know is this, that where we're seated with him in heavenly places tonight, the holy, precious, infallible, unchanging, life-changing, incomparable, unconquerable, inexhaustible word of God is settled in the very place where we're seated. And, and what God's trying to get us to see is, listen, now that you're saved, while you live out your days here on the earth, I, I want you to passionately seek my word. Okay, now, to help us get our minds wrapped around this, let me take us down just a, a quick little biblical path to show us just how significant our seeking the Word of God actually is. And the crazy thing is, is I'm not going to talk about the Word of God just yet. I want to talk to you for us to understand this. I want to talk to you for just a second about the name of God. Do you, you see that in the scripture? My name the name of the Lord, you know, all, all that, over and over. Well, it's a very important biblical concept. And, and God is repeatedly talking about his name. And when the Bible talks about the name of God, it, what it's in reference to is who God actually is. It, 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 it is how, how the Bible refers to the completeness of his person. The, the sum total of all of his attributes. Okay, that's what the name of God is. And you begin to go to the word of God and begin to see what the Bible says about his name. In Nehemiah chapter 9 and, and verse 9, he says, Blessed be thy glorious name, listen to this, y'all, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. In other words, if you can find anything that is worthy of an applause, anything that's worthy of a cheer or a standing O, who God is dwarfs it. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and given him, you hear it, a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah to the name of Jesus, yo. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. You know what? 
I would say the name of God is pretty significant, eh? Okay, get it. His name is exalted above all blessing and praise. His name is above every other name. His name is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. I don't know what, I don't know what more you could say about the name of God than that. Okay, so I went through all of that so that we might understand the significance of what the psalmist is saying to us in Psalm 138, verses 1 and 2, when he says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Okay, brace for impact now. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Say what? I mean, I just brought you through that string of verses where that name is above everything else. I mean, what in the world's going on here? And yes, get it, y'all. From a human standpoint, there is nothing that is more blessed. There is Nothing that is more exalted or more worthy of praise than the name of our God. But the fact is, y'all, the only way we can know his name is through that book. And, and so that we might understand the significance of that name. What God did is he says, I exalted my word above all my name. Because God wants us to know him. And so you see what God did? He magnified his word above his own name because he's passionate about us knowing him. And so as we take all of this and we put it back into Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, you know what he's actually saying to us? He's saying, okay, now listen, now that you're saved, I want you to spend the rest of your time down on the earth seeking my word. And I want you to set your affection, your, your mind and your heart. I want your mind and your heart set on my word, because I want you to be passionate about knowing me. L listen, y'all. That's why God intended for us to get into that book. Not so that we could get information that would make us sound spiritual. Not, not so we could accumulate knowledge to promote ourselves or to use as a weapon against other people. Not so we can get off of our guilt trip because we're not reading it. Not so we can tell everybody that we read through it in a year. Not so we can feel good about ourselves because you know, I've, I've read my self-inflicted prescribed number of chapters. No. God wants us to seek his truth for one reason, and that is 
Because now that we are saved and we're risen with him and we're seated with him where that book is, we have a passion to know him. Isn't that the passion that Paul was expressing in his infamous words in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10? Oh, hearing that I may know him. Isn't that the passion God himself was trying to get us to understand in John, uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, when, when he said, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth. All kinds of stuff about the Bible. <laughs> Knoweth me. Amen. Would you check out this promise of deliverance and blessing that God talked about in Psalm 91 and verse 14? God says, Because he hath, say the next word, because he hath set his Love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Listen, do you see how important it is to God that we know him? And listen, y'all, God wants it to be that important to us. And like I was talking about a minute ago, you know, here's how this works practically. Okay, so along with seeking the person of God and setting the spiritual thermostat of our life to loving him on a daily basis. And this is what I'm going to challenge you to do for the rest of your life. And maybe three of you will do it. And then awesome. <laughs> maybe one of us will do it. Awesome. But I, I feel impassioned and emboldened to, to say it. We go the rest of our life and on a daily basis. Set the spiritual thermostat of our life to seeking the word of God and through prayer saying, God, as I live my life down here today, I, I want to seek your word. I willfully and joyfully set the affection of my heart to knowing you. And Lord, may it be an all-consuming, all-embracing preoccupation in my soul. And as I go to your word today, I go like David, open now mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. Lord, I want to see those things so that I can know you more because I believe that if I know you, the more I know you, the more I will love you. Expressing that passion for that purpose that he saved us. Okay? Let's see if you're getting it. Don't lead the witnesses yet. The first thing that God, the first thing that God wants us to see is the person of God because God wants us to 
love him. The second thing he wants us to seek is the word of God because he wants us to know him. Okay, and then let's look at the third thing that God reveals to us through his word that is above. And to, to see it, let me, let me just mention the fact that there were five men in the Bible who were beamed off of this planet straight up to the third heaven, to the abode of God. Okay, one of those men, God beamed up there and he never came back down. It was a guy by the name of Enoch, a picture of the raptured church of Jesus Christ. Another man was caught up into the abode of God. His name was, was Paul. And he said that he saw things there that it wouldn't be lawful for him to share. It was against the law. Okay, I'm back. He said, I, 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 I can't, can't even tell you. I, I, all you young people, that was a song back in the day. Okay, I'm sorry. But he says, man, what I saw was so incredible. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, he, he, he talks about not being able to talk about it. That makes sense if you don't think about it. Okay, but, but okay, so th those two guys, we don't know their story. But three other men were caught up in the Bible to the abode of God, and they were permitted to talk to us about it. And what's the crazy thing is that all three of them came back to the earth talking about the same thing. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let it be established. Okay, and, and you know what that third thing that is above that they all came back talking about it was the throne of God and that's the third thing that God reveals to us that's above the throne of God Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1 verses uh, 26 and 27 and 28 all of those are going to be there uh, go back there in verse 26, he says, And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a... Say it? Oh, wow, you people in the back. <laughs> if you can see that, man, let's talk. Okay? <laughs> For all you old people... We, we, <laughs> And the firmament that was above their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone and upon the likeness of the throne. And again, I want you, and he goes on to describe it and go on to the next verse there and get, or do you have that 28? Go on to the next one. I want you to see how, with what he saw there, He says, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. I, Isaiah gets caught up in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. 
The apostle John was the other one. And he wrote about it in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, for time's sake. We're not going to take the time to, to read the whole chapter. But here, listen, here's what you've got to get. Twelve times in the 11 verses where John is talking about it, twelve times he talks about the throne, the throne, the throne. Twelve, did, did I say twelve times in 11 verses? I meant twelve times in 11 verses, y'all. I th and in each of these occasions, Ezekiel, Isaiah, John, listen, something significant is happening at that throne. And, and you know what it is, don't you? It's worship. Passionate. Life-changing worship. L listen now. That's why God wants us to seek his throne and to set our affection there. It's because he wants us to worship him. I know we use this John 4.23 verse all the time, but have you ever really just actually heard it? What Jesus says is that God is on his throne in heaven. Seeking our worship. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Would you catch this? For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I got to tell you, y'all, that boggles my mind that the holy, almighty, creator God is actually seeking worship from a puny little twit like me. Aren't you glad I said me instead of you? real y'all but but listen when you hear that one of the things i think we got to get in our, our mind is that god doesn't seek our worship because he needs it because the god of the bible needs nothing he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our intellect. He doesn't need our ingenuity. He doesn't need our ideas. He doesn't need our opinions. He doesn't need our anything else. The fact is, if we don't worship him, do you understand he's going to remain just as holy? And he's going to remain just as all-sufficient. And he's going to remain just as worthy of worship as he ever has been he doesn't need our worship. But John chapter 4 and verse 23 lets us know that he wants it. And whether we seek to worship him or not, he's seeking it from everybody that he placed into Christ and that died and was buried and rose and he seated us in heavenly places. He's trying to say, listen, now that you've been saved, 
Would you seek my throne? Would you join what's happening there on a daily basis? Will you worship me? Will you go through your life doing that? Listen, y'all, do you think that your life would be different if you woke up every single day and as soon as you opened your eyes, you had the thought, the God of the world, the God of the universe is seeking my worship right now. And you know what's crazy? I think all of us certainly agree. Yeah, man, our lives would be different if we would do that. And so I ask you, why is that such a struggle? Can I remind you of something that I, I think a good portion of people from churches like ours that, that you, you understand? Some of you maybe need to learn this for the first time. Others of us, maybe you need to be brought back to the fact that from a chronological standpoint, the Bible begins with a struggle over a throne. Sometime after the beginning in Genesis 1-1, Lucifer, the anointed cherub, desired the worship for which only God is worthy. And in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 3, he says, I will exalt my, say it, I will exalt my throne. And he made himself God's adversary, and he became a slithering, slimy, wily serpent called Satan. And if you want to really know what was going on in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, when the serpent sought to beguile the woman... Do you understand what was really happening? Satan was seeking to come against the plan of God, beginning with destroying her ability to worship him. And if you want to know what has gone on in the world since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 and what's behind all of the lies and deception and why 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says that our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, what's the next word? Seeking whom he may devour. Listen, y'all, ultimately he wants to devour our worship. And listen, after we're raptured and become a part of that throng in Revelation chapter 4, casting ourselves before the throne in true worship in heaven. <laughs> Do you understand? Down on the earth during the tribulation period, the Antichrist, Satan, and human flesh will come into that newly rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and take his seat <coughs> on a throne. And you guessed it, he will demand that he be worshiped. And so all of history can be summarized as a battle over a throne. 
And all the way through the Bible, God is moving to put his son on that throne, and Satan is constantly trying to counter that and counterfeit that to get his sorry self there. And listen, y'all, you and I are caught in the crossfire with God on one side. John chapter 4, verse 23, go to the next one. With God on one side, seeking our worship, and Satan on the other side, seeking to devour it. And in the midst of the conflict, for those that will listen, God comes along in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and he gently tells us, hey, listen, now that you're saved, Here's how I want it to roll. I want you to seek my throne. I want you to seek to worship me. Set, set your affection on that. Don't, don't set your affection. Don't seek those things on the earth. Because those things are in Satan's domain. Do you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4? He's the God of what? This world, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, he is the power that's over that whole world's system. And please listen to this. So that when we seek the things... In his domain, do you know what happens, y'all? Satan wins the battle for worship in our lives. And what God is trying to say in Colossians 3, 1 and 2 is, hey, don't go back. Don't go back and seek those things. And the reality is, y'all, we can't have our affection on those things and be a true worshiper. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can still come into rooms where a band is playing and singers are, are rocking some cool tunes. And we can sing and we can dance and we can cry and we can lift our hands and get all goosebumped up. And we can convince ourselves that we're worshipers and we can, we can play the part and we can look the part. But the reality is we cannot be bowing to the things in Satan's domain. And be a true worshiper of the God that is so worthy of worship. And our Lord's telling us in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, seek his throne. Seek to put your affection, our, our mind and our hearts, on a daily basis on that. To set the spiritual thermostat of our life to passionate worship. So what are the things above? First thing that is above is the I didn't hear you guys in the back. 
and we, he wants us to seek his person because he wants us to love, love him. The, the second thing that is above is the word. word of God. God wants us to know him. The third thing that is above is the throne of God. God wants us to worship him. And then there's a, a fourth thing, and I'm going to try to do this as quickly as, as possible, but I do want you to make sure that you get it. The fourth thing that he tells us to seek now that we're saved and to set our affection on, it's found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, where Paul is in the midst of a prayer, and in his prayer, this is what he says, for this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole, listen now, family, where? In heaven and earth is named. Okay, that's the fourth thing that's above, that God wants us to be in passionate pursuit of in our lives down here on the earth that we're to set our affection on. It is the family of God. Now the question is, I mean, what does that look like in real life? I'm seeking his family, man. Again, what, what does that look like? Okay, well, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, God reveals to us that it simply means that he wants us to minister through him. And we don't have time to go to seed on this, but notice that I didn't word it. He wants us to minister for him. He wants us to minister, how? Through him. Yeah, there's, there's a ministry that he intends for you and I to be passionately involved in, but not in our own power, not in our own strength, but through his power and his filling and his strength in our ministry through him as we seek the family of God has, has two simple dimensions. First of all, we are to minister our gifts to those who are in his family. Okay, now get your mind wrapped around this, all right? In other words, we're to minister our gifts to all of our brothers and sisters that are seated with us in heavenly places. We're seated with them here, but down on the earth, we're to minister our gifts to those that are in his family. And not only are the, we to minister to those that were seated with in heavenly places, but from a very practical standpoint, y'all, we are to seek to minister to the people that we're seated with in the same room on Sunday mornings. The people that are in our own local body of Christ. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, and, and so I, I want to just ask you tonight, I am thrilled that you took the time to to come to this retreat. I, I can't tell you how it blesses me, can't tell you how I respect you, but I do want to ask you something right now. Are you actively and passionately seeking to minister to your brothers and sisters in your own local church?
through Christ's power and through the gifts that he's given to you for that purpose. I mean, right now, I'm, I'm asking you, what ministry do you have in your local church? And, and if we're going to leave changed people coming out of this retreat and we're going to seek the things above, and we're going to set our affection there. Listen, some of us are going to need to get back home and get busy ministering to the family of God in our own church. That's what Jesus wants for your life. Now that you've been risen with Christ, seek the things above. What's above? The family, man. And you sit with them in the same building every Sunday. And now God wants you to get off of your seat and get busy ministering in your own local church. But not only does he want us to seek to minister through him, our gifts to those that are in the family. It also means that we're to seek to minister the gospel to those he intends to be in his family. And, and what that means is that God wants to use us, listen y'all, to see other worshipers take their seat in heavenly places in heaven. And he wants, as we're going down through life down here on the earth, he wants that to be what we're seeking as we are doing life. He wants us to be passionately seeking those who are outside of the family so that we can give them the gospel. And, 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 and he so wants us living in the reality, listen, of where we're seated with the family in heaven, as we're walking on the earth, that as we're walking down here, we see those people down on the earth that we work with, that we go to school with, that we're friends with, that we're neighbors with, that we're related to. He wants us to see them as people that our loving Father wants to be in His family. And from the platform of a child of God whose life is passionately pursuing, loving him and knowing him and worshiping him, we, we go through our lives each day praying as we go. Oh, God, help me as I'm going to work. Help me as I'm driving back into my neighborhood. God, will you please help me open doors for me to be able to minister the gospel to those that you want to be seated with us in heavenly places. And, and listen, y'all, okay, um, put your tray tables up and get the, the cabin ready. We're just making our descent right now, okay? Listen, I want you to understand how important this last one actually is. Because I, I want you to think with me, okay? W work with me now. If God's intention for us, now that we've been saved, if it was just for us to love him and to know him and to worship him, do you realize that the best thing that God could have done and no doubt would have done, if that was it, 
The moment we were calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God baptized us into his death, burial, and resurrection, the best thing that God could have possibly done is at that moment take us to heaven. Because do you realize everything that we have talked about tonight? We're going to do a whole lot better in heaven than we're doing now. Because listen, in heaven, we will love him more intimately. And you know why I say that? Because we will be doing it in glorified bodies that no longer have the residue and the, the remnant of, of sin lodged in its members like our earthly body do, does. And so on that day, listen, y'all, we're going to be loving him like we've never loved him before. On that day, for sure, we will love him with all of our heart and all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. But in heaven, not only will we love him more intimately, but in heaven, we will know him more completely. Because in that day, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, right now we know in part, but then we'll know even as we are known. But not only will we love him more intimately, not only will we know him more completely, but in heaven, y'all, we'll worship him more passionately than we have ever worshiped him before. I mean, in Revelation chapter 4, John's already been catapulted forward in time to witness the worship that flows out of true worshipers. And he's already seen the raptured church of the Lord Jesus Christ worshiping him in spirit and in truth and doing that out of a glorified body. He's already seen it in heaven, y'all. We're going to worship on a whole different level. And, and, and recognize this now. In terms of the people that are already in the family of God. Okay, do you, you understand that in heaven they won't need us to minister our gifts to them? Because they will be just like us. They'll all be loving and knowing and worshiping Christ in the intimacy and fullness and passion that God intended, just like us. But there is one thing that we won't do better in heaven that we can do and we must do right now. And you know what it is? It's minister the gospel to those he intends to be in his family. And, and listen, you know why we can't do that better in heaven, y'all? Because there won't be any lost people to minister the gospel to. It'll be done. It's the one thing that we must do now and can't do in eternity. And that is why God has left us on this planet. Can I say this? It's the one reason that God has left us on this planet. And I'm not saying that that's more important than our loving and knowing and worshiping him. A thousand times, no. The, the, those things factor into our rewards in heaven and into the millennial kingdom. And the truth is, 
The only people who are truly effective in ministering the gospel, you know who they are? It's people who love him and know him and worship him. But the point that I'm trying to get you to see, and I'm not trying to sound like an idiot when I say this, but it is so true, y'all. If we aren't going to minister the gospel so that his family can grow to include more and more people who love him, who know him, and worship him, the fact is, y'all, if we're not going to do that with our lives, we'd be better off dead. Because when we get there, we're going to love him more intimately, we're going to know him more completely, and we're going to worship him more passionately. So we might as well get our sorry behinds there. But he has left us on this planet for a mission. We're, we're part of churches. Talk about the mission all the time. Maybe we might have ears to hear it if we understood we'd be better off dead if we don't fulfill the mission. Work with me one last time. The things above, first of all, the person of God. Everybody, God wants us to love him. Secondly, the word of God. God wants us to know him. Thirdly, the throne of God. God wants us to worship him. And fourthly, the family of God. God wants us to minister through him. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I get it. It's camp. <laughs> when you open your eyes in the morning, four things. And would you just, as soon as you open your eyes, man, as soon as you get your first cup, <laughs> Set the spiritual thermostat of your life to four things, man. Now that you're saved, that's it. it it's a big book. Four things. Love him, know him, worship him, minister. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the, the simplicity of the word of God and the incredible depths of that simplicity. And Lord, I, I, I pray that we will not, as Paul feared and talked about in 2 Corinthians 11, I, 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 I pray that we will not be moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Lord, I, I hope and pray that through the things we've talked about tonight, that the simplicity of these things will be something that we will plumb the depths of for the remainder of our days on the earth until we come into your holy presence. We ask in Jesus' name.